Welcome to The Third Story. I'm Leo Sidrin. Last week, as I was running some last-minute holiday errands around Brooklyn, I decided to pop into Guitar Center on Atlantic Avenue to pick up a few odds and ends. Staring at the massive wall of options, various brands, gauges of strings, flat-wound, round-wound, nickel-wound, and bronze, I thought of Lionel Luweke. I had just talked to him a few days earlier, and his stories were still very much on my mind. See, when Lionel was coming of age as a young guitar player in his home country of Benin in West Africa, there were no musical stores of any kind. He says he would have had to have traveled to Nigeria, the next country over, just to get his hands on some new strings. So he made do with what he had. Cleaning and soaking, reusing his strings, even going so far as to tie knots in them when they broke. To me, Lionel's story is the stuff of legend. After finally getting his hands on a guitar as a teenager, he put together enough technique and understanding to get himself to the Ivory Coast to attend music school there. And then he managed to get to Paris for further musical study. Eventually, he got a scholarship to go to Berklee College of Music in Boston. And then he went to the Thelonious Monk Institute of Jazz at UCLA. That's now called the Hancock Institute for Herbie Hancock. There he had the opportunity to study and work with his greatest mentors, Wayne Shorter, Terrence Blanchard, and even Herbie Hancock. After finishing there, he began to work with all three of those mentors. He appeared on albums by Blanchard and Hancock and worked with Wayne Shorter as well. And since then, he's gone on to play with an incredible list of the greatest, most creative, and influential players alive. Today, he lives in Luxembourg, teaches at the jazz campus in Basel, Switzerland, and in non-COVID times tours and records relentlessly. A case in point is his recent output as a recording artist. In 2019, he released an ambitious album aptly named The Journey. The title reflects both his odyssey from childhood in Benin to his current life as a globe-trotting jazz star and also mirrors his musical development. He followed that up with a much more intimate album called HH in 2020, named for Herbie Hancock. It featured solo guitar performances punctuated by vocals and vocal percussion and paid tribute to one of his great teachers. Just recently, he released another new statement, a more loosely structured blowing record of classic repertoire in musical conversation with bassist Ruben Rogers and drummer Eric Harland. Each project shines a light on a different aspect of Lionel's musical personality. He tells me that after trying as hard as possible to remove the African influences from his playing, hoping to sound more like his jazz heroes, he ultimately realized that it was all compatible, and he began to reintroduce more of the sounds of his childhood into his approach. 
The result is a very personal, very musical, and emotional sound, and I think maybe that's what makes him such an appealing collaborator for so many. His voice, both his singing voice and his playing voice, is so identifiable and personal, and you can feel the road that he's traveled in his playing. In fact, he ends up telling me exactly that. He says, Our story is what we play. The story of somebody from the beginning to the time when you hear them, that's what's being presented. We spoke recently over a very questionable Zoom connection. He in a hotel room in Basel, me in my home in Brooklyn. Here he talks about growing up in Benin, discovering the guitar and eventually jazz by way of a George Benson record, making his way out of Africa, through France, to America, finding his voice, his style, how he sees his contribution as a teacher, and much more. Third-story.com is the place for you to go. Sign up, subscribe, get involved, check out the archive, including conversations with some friends, contemporaries, and collaborators of Lionel's like Kenny Werner, Eric Harland, Chris Potter, Larry Klein, Nate Smith, Jacques Schwarzbart, Aaron Parks, and many more. Patreon.com slash Third Story Podcast is the place to go to keep the lights on over here. And as I often do, I have included some YouTube clips and a Spotify playlist related to our conversation today. That's available at third-story.com as well. Today, actually, it's a very cool Spotify playlist drawing from many of the references and musical sources that Lionel brings up in our conversation. Without further ado, here's me and Lionel Lueke talking it down. Lionel. Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, great. Hey, man. Yeah. How are you? I'm cool. You know what? Can you see me? Yeah, but the connection is a little funny. Hold second. on. I got to turn. Yeah. Yeah, let me turn off a few things here. Yeah. Make sure that nothing is running in the background. Oh, yeah. Now it's, it looks much better much more stable now let's try this so you're in a hotel in where in uh, basel in switzerland i'm teaching i uh, teach i teach here so i'm here this week teaching and then you're living in luxembourg that's right how long have you been living there for five years yeah even though you've been there for five years there's something that tells me that it's just i mean maybe you'll be there forever you could tell me but you've moved so many times in your life that it must feel like oh, it's just the next, <laughs> next stop in the long journey of life you know yeah, well, this time, the difference is, uh, you know, I moved here because my, my wife works here. So uh, what can make me move again is then the whole family has to move. Before, it was just me moving around. So that's different. <laughs> so who knows? I don't know. Let's talk about some of the things that made you move originally, man. I hope you don't mind me asking, but I've always been so curious about how a boy from Benin ends up making such a statement musically in America and in Europe. I mean, I I can't even picture what Benin it was like. Can you just tell me what it was like when you were growing up? What was the scene? It was, um, I mean, talking about music, everything was music-related, you know, uh, uh, birthdays, anniversary, death, anything was related to traditional music. So um, I remember just, you know, going outside or in the, in the same era, area, you know, in the quarter, just walk around. Or, I mean, we knew exactly, okay, this Saturday, there's going to be a, a traditional band playing outside. There's always, I mean, there's no ceremonial thing without music. So I grew up, listening to that and sometimes participating either dancing or playing or you know 
So that was um, my childhood, you know. So we played our background as as child was, uh, you know, pick up our mom's pants and, you know, different things that we can play percussion on and call each other, get together with four, five, sometimes seven kids and just play percussion and sing. And we have this tradition coming from Wida. Wida is a, another town in Benin where my mother is from. My mother, last name is Monteiro. And as you can tell, Monteiro is not a traditional Beninese name. But what happened was after the slavery, many of them slaves went back on the coast of uh, of Africa and they, they brought the, the culture of uh, with them as much as they brought the culture to to Brazil or to um, everywhere in the world mm-hmm. also they brought back some culture so in uh, in Wida they you know like the traditional food one of the main food is called feshwada huh? so i grew up li- eating feshwada i thought it was from benin actually you know and and uh, like i said my mom's last name it's portuguese it's a portuguese name huh portuguese yeah. mostly yeah brazilian um, Portuguese. So we used to dance with masks on. I think they still do. So as a kid, that's what I was doing, wearing a mask, dancing, covering my whole body until my parents found out uh, because my socks was <laughs> had a hole. I said, man, I know this is you, you know, because we were not supposed to do that, you know, because we were doing that to make some coins, you know, go uh-huh. from house to to house to to make some money and buy some candies. Basically, that's how I grew up. I understand that you referred to your parents as humble intellectuals or poor intellectuals. Not so poor because they, you know, they, um, I mean, my mom was a high school teacher. My father was a professor at the university. So average, you know, standard average people, but humble, yes. What is the main religion? What was the main religion? The, the main religion, I, I don't know if there's one. I mean, Catholicism is one of the biggest one, but that, you know, came from from the West. The the main religion is the Vodun. Vodun is, came from Benin. So that's the main religion that people from all around the world, they go to Benin once a year to celebrate that from Haiti, from... Brazil, from Cuba to celebrate that. So that's the main thing, but not that many. At the same time, I don't want to say main because it's not the most, mm-hmm. it's the most known, but it's not the most uh, popular. It's not the one that most of people practice. Yes. You know. As you say, everything was musical. Every celebration was music. Were there professional musicians? Did you see people who were separate from mm-hmm. the rest of the community who were like special musicians? Absolutely. You know, I grew up listening to Polyrhythm. Polyrhythmo is a, I mean, they still have the band. Many of them passed away, unfortunately. But I grew up listening to them. You know, actually, they were rehearsing where I grew up, basically. So I used to go just listening to them. It's a famous, very famous man. Mm-hmm. 
those were professionals um, and it, it was hard to be professional. I mean, it's still hard to be a professional <laughs> musician today, but back then it was harder, you know, because so many people play music on the streets that it's hard to consider that as a profession because first of all, you don't make that much money. Second of all, you know, if you say you're a professional musician, most of the time people ask you, okay, you play music, but what else you do? You know, <laughs> So it has changed a little bit, but still, yeah. But if everybody plays music, why should I pay you to play music when everybody else plays exactly. music? Exactly. You know, music is on the streets yeah. for free. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And you were playing percussion first. You didn't play guitar till you were older, right? Yeah. So I played percussion until I was, I mean, from, uh, I would say, 9-11 until 15, 17. So I started guitar at 17 because of my older brother who was a guitar player. Uh, he already played guitar. So you saw the guitar. You saw somebody playing guitar. Oh, yeah. It was a, naturally the first instrument I, I gravitate to because it was there. I have to wait until 17 because, uh, um, you know, had a lot of pressure from my parents uh, for the same reason. You know, you got to go to, you got to get your degree, etc. Music is not uh, mm. something that you can do uh, as a living, you know. So it, it was it was hard for me, especially seeing my older brother, you know, struggling. Today, he's a banker. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. You know, that explained, <laughs> you know, and he was very talented. So, and he was the first kid. So he had more pressure on me, you know. So I waited until 17 because, I mean, for me, it was kind of clear when I started that this is what I want to do. But I couldn't, I couldn't do it earlier. No way. <laughs> so did you get a guitar from him? How did you get your hands on an instrument? You know, he had a guitar, and actually I had to, I wasn't allowed to touch his guitar, you know. So one day I picked up his guitar, he wasn't around, you know. And I was just, you know, I just want to see how, you know, what I can do with it. And here he comes <laughs> from the back. I was like, oh man, he's going to slap me. I'm going to be flying in this room. <laughs> and uh, he said... Uh, Oh, yeah? You want to play? I was so scared because, uh, you know, I did ask him. He said, okay, i show you something. You want to play? i show you. I said, yeah, yes, I want to play. You know, I never want to forget it. It was late in the night, maybe. Uh, it was after dinner, maybe 9.30 or 10. And uh, he showed me uh, one chord. I never forget. It was E minor. You know, I just need two fingers to play that, you know, open minor chord. And... Uh, I played that chord all pretty much all night. I think I went to bed at two or three a.m. But he didn't tell me. I mean, I couldn't. Next day, I couldn't even raise my hand because <laughs> I I pressed so hard. He told me like, okay, if you get this chord right tomorrow, I show you another one. But he didn't tell me. Okay, just relax. Don't don't you know? So I went for it. Festival is one of those crappy guitars. That, you know, the strings were with that high to the. The on neck. the neck yeah. so it was on anyway so i i did but next day i couldn't show him the code because my fingers were all swallowed because i pressed i pressed so hard and he told me well lesson number one <laughs> <laughs> you know so i had to wait a few days to get the second chord. so that's uh that's how i started what yeah. was the second chord a minor a minor exactly after that there was d major d minor 
I still remember the, the orders, you know, two fingers, three fingers. Uh, yeah. And what kind of music were you listening to? What was the music? I mean, I know eventually somebody brings you a, a, a George Benson record, but you couldn't have had George Benson at the very beginning. No. No, no, I, I, I was listening, like I said, uh, mostly traditional music and also some Afro-pop, mm. you know, uh, also music from Nigeria, you know, Fela. Mm. Sonia Day, you know. Franco from Congo. Those were music that, you know, mostly involved guitar, electric guitar, guitars and, and well-known songs. So, I mean, I wasn't playing, but I was listening, dancing a lot to those music. And electric guitar was the sound. That was the sound. Yes, electric electric guitar was a song. Uh, my brother didn't have electric guitar; he had acoustic. So I remember the first concert I played. I had to borrow. I had to pay, uh, get an electric guitar from uh, somebody else, so I can uh, <laughs> practice everything I learned on on the acoustic, because it was my first concert and it was electric, and I was so scared. I remember. I think I played behind my amp because I was so scared. <laughs> Even for the, about the sound, it was for me. It was loud. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just hiding behind the amp. It wasn't enough to be behind the guitar. You needed to be behind the amp also. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I couldn't show my face or anything. I think I wouldn't be able to play. So. <laughs> and there's the yeah. story that you could, when you finally got a guitar, you couldn't change the strings. You only had one set of strings. Is this true? Yeah. So when I had a I had my first guitar. I never forget the brand was Maison, like house. Uh-huh. In, in, uh, Maison. I never seen that brand brand anywhere else. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so it was a friend of my brother who came from Paris with that white guitar, the brand Maison, and um, uh, it took me I don't know maybe two three years to pay him back. Um, the guitar wasn't that expensive. But back then it was really expensive for me, and uh, I was playing in the biggest hotel in town. So uh-huh. every money I was making, I was paying the guitar. I was paying him for for the guitar. And actually, you know, back then we didn't have any music stores. You know, there's the only place where we could order guitar strings from were, uh, was uh, in Lagos, in Nigeria. Nigeria, I mean, it's a nice country, but it, it wasn't still not easy to go over there and get 
and get a string. So, you know, I found few people who were doing business in, you know, just import sports, go over there and buy some stuff. So, you know, I asked them to buy strings, but, you know, they don't have that time. So, I don't know what, there's a phrase in English for necessity is the mother of invention. So I have to think about how I'm going to keep my uh, my strings for a long time because not only we in Africa, the you know, humidity is very high, but, you know, naturally when I play, I sweat a lot. So strings were in very bad shape. So what I was doing was I was taking them before they break, I was taking them off the guitar and I was putting them in a vinegar for either 24 or 48 hours or I was just boiling them with the hot water just to take out the, the sweat. You know, the sweat, exactly. The problem with that is when you put them back, of course, I mean, it wasn't a problem, big problem for me because anyway, the guitar wasn't in tune, but it was terrible. You know, it's like you play one note in the low register in the middle is a whole different thing. You, I mean, then on top of that, um, I have some uh, nerds. I don't know if they're right word on on the instrument. So when I break a, I was trying to not break a string, but because they are so old, sometimes when they break in the middle, I will make a nerd. Ah, a knot, you yeah. know, and I will and I and I will cut, you know. But the problem is, it's a guitar, it's a string, so. Meaning, I have to avoid that case. You know, when I'm playing, I can't just jump on it. But most of the time, I was playing in the dark. <laughs> you know, so I got few blister. I mean, yeah. ouch! You know, start bleeding because. But that didn't stop me because I didn't have any other um, way of, of uh, keep playing. So I just had to remember, even in the dark, okay, that A string. The, the E flat on that A string, don't play, you know, <laughs> things like that. Uh, it was a good school. Absolutely. I'm glad that you say that was a good school because I was going to ask you, did you have teachers? Were there people who could show you anything or did you have to just kind of find it? Well, it was just my brother, my older brother, but beside him, I was just hanging with uh, other friends who start music like me. So I didn't have, a, I have, a, I have a, another friend, I mean, another um, a friend of my brother, older than me at, at the time, who, I mean, he was the only one who could play something besides triads, you know? He was playing seven chords and sometimes nine, you know, C9, some nine chords. But uh, he got into that because uh, uh, his father was playing harmon at the church and, and could read a little bit. So he kind of, harmonically he knew a little bit what's what was going on compared to the rest of my peers and oldest uh, because everybody learned by ears and um i used to my parents used to give me i think it was something like five thousand cfa which is uh ten dollars or something around ten or twelve dollars per month you know to eat basically uh, when i go to school or after school i can you know uh, buy some uh, snack and stuff like that, and I was giving him that money to <laughs> to learn. So uh, I remember sometime he was uh, he would show me he would show me uh, one call and he would take his uh, motorcycle and he was gone for 
And I was just at his play, play this code. I got the code ready. I'm waiting. And I have to work for, for miles, you know. So it was a little, frust- I was frustrated because, you know, that those that was the money for me to eat, you know. I, I wanted to learn. He was the only one helped me out. And he was helping me, but not as I wanted, you know. But anyway, he was, for me, the one that was slight, I mean, in terms of knowledge, knew a little bit more on, on the rest of us, yeah. So do you ever think now when you put on fresh strings on your guitar, do you ever think what that would have meant to you when you were 18 years old to have a fresh strings for a new gig? I'm going to, uh, you know, recording date. I got to put new, new strings. Here's some new strings. And how much it meant to you to have new strings when you were just starting out? You know what? The thing is, I don't do it today. <laughs> I mean, I change, I, change, I change strings. I have, you know, endorsement. I have strings, so I can buy strings. But I guess... Because I've I've done that for so long, I don't see. Maybe one day if I have a guitar tech on the road, somebody will do it. But I just feel like it's a waste. <laughs> and to tell you the truth, I feel like it's a waste to change string all the time. And so I just have to. I change them when I feel like okay, now I can see they're changing colors. And yeah, yes, it's about time, you know. Otherwise, I don't change string often. I still don't. Not yeah. like before, but <laughs> I still. I mean, when I see, you know, some people change string every yeah. concert. Uh, no, I don't do that. No. When did you hear jazz? When did when did you hear this George Benson record? So I heard, I think I was, um, I started I start learning instruments. I started at 17. I think I heard Benson maybe 18 or 19. And that freaked me out because I never heard anything close to that ever. Until, the, until then, it was mostly African music, uh, uh, pop music. So... Here come this music, uh, this guy playing so fast, and from I have no clue what was happening. I just felt attractive to I was like, man, I like what I'm hearing. I don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, night and day, you know. It's like, is is this the same instrument? I mean, how possible? So my curiosity, I start. My father, my parents used to have a, a record player and um, it was a record. So I have to find a way to make a copy. Which record was it, Lionel? Which record was it? It was a Weekend in Los Angeles, live, you know, Weekend, weekend in LA. was out of boy, you know, and I was, um, I was going to church in the morning and, and my parents, everybody was going to church in the family. My parents were going in the Saturday or Sunday in the evening. So that was the only time I had, uh, I could be in the house by myself. Everybody was at church. So... That was a time for me to get Uh, Hi, my friends. It's me breaking the fourth wall to state the obvious here. That at this moment in our talk, Lionel's Zoom connection fell apart. 
I think what he was saying was that he waited until everyone left his house to be able to record his George Benson vinyl onto cassette, which he did by holding up a Walkman in front of the record player to capture the audio. But I also like to think that this jagged, interrupted, incomplete information is a fitting illustration of what it must have felt like for a young Lionel to cobble together the music he was hearing, to fit together the pieces that came in fragmented messages, encoded, deconstructed, and mysterious. Anyway, eventually the connection stabilized and our conversation resumed. Hello. Nice, no noise, just record like that. Record the whole, uh, you know... Uh, album like that and uh, my cassette player was very bad so I will, next day I was going to one of my friends place who had a double decket so he could make me a copy and I would keep one copy in a safe place and then uh, the copy of the copy right so uh, the one I will be working on because my cassette player was so bad you know sometimes he will kind of mess up the tape so so I will, uh, because listening to Benson was so fast. I mean, he was playing so fast. So what I was, I used to do was find a way to bring the the, the speed down. Of course, it will change the, the the tonality. Today you can do it on your phone without changing anything. Yeah. But I was uh, using half dead uh, dead uh, batteries. Just kind of, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it will slow down the whole the whole tune. I didn't. I just wanted to hear the notes closer so I can pick them up, and I will practice the phrase for I don't know maybe a week, and then plug back to the electricity in the right tonality and see if I get it. So that's how I started. Actually, that's how I. I did, and and at that time, I have no idea. I mean, I couldn't tell you what is two, five, one. I could. I can hear it, but I couldn't put a name on it. I, I have no. Um, knowledge about the harmony, basically, you know, just learning by years. You know. So eventually, you left Benin. Yes, I went to Ivory Coast. Uh, bec- why? Because it was the only place I could study music. I wanted to study music. It was a classical school, so nothing really to jazz. Just a history of music. Who's Beethoven? Who's Mozart? I never heard about those before so and uh, solfege uh, classical harmony you know that's uh, i went there to study that and you began your kind of life as a as a serious musician professional musician studying musician maybe you met some other professional musicians people who were doing the same thing i mean i met the people i I was hanging with were my teachers Ah. because funny situation they were classical musicians who quite interesting to play jazz or blues. Here I, I came with, um, you know, all my transcriptions. So I, I kind of, me compared to them, I had, you More. know, um, yeah, I have few things, you know, but they were all transcription, like, you know. So they decided to put a band together and uh, actually they were paying me between noon and two, you know, I was showing them some leaks. That's all I was showing them, some leaks. And the advantage they had was they could read, right? I remember I had a, I had a real book from Benin. When I moved to Ivory Coast, I had a real book, <laughs> but I didn't know how to read. I, I got the real book from, uh, I can't remember, the piano player was uh, Pharaoh Sanders who came to Benin, and the piano player 
this is a whole other story. We don't have time. But basically, the guy gave uh, us a real book and we made a copy of the real book that thick with all the friends. I mean, we made, everybody has a real book copy, but none of us knew how to read. I mean, mm. we couldn't. So in every course, um, those teachers could read. So some of the tunes I was I transcribed and I had the title, they could find in the real book, but they could read the melody you know, the, the, the score symbol, things like that. So it was a good win for me, you know, like I can I could finally learn and see the code, even if they cannot help me that much, but at least I can see. And I was learning to, to read music, so it was a perfect situation for me. Do you remember any of those first tunes that they helped you to learn how to read? Yeah, uh, one was uh, Saint Thomas. That's funny. It's the same all over the world. You start with blue balls. Yeah, but you know, you will think. I was like, man, blue balls. You know, actually, they they when I moved to to Ivory Coast, I didn't know blue balls, and they were telling me about because they had a back in the day they had a, a Ghanaian group, Ghanaian musician in Ivory Coast, and those guys were playing jazz. You know, so the tunes they were playing were those. You know, so the one the teachers they told me, I you know blue bossa, you know blue bossa, no. So I kind of learned blue bossa with them, things like that. Yeah. Did you have an idea that at some point you should leave Africa, or did somebody suggest to you you should leave? How did you decide? You know, I have to go away from here. Yeah. So so when I finished, um, when I finished the school, when I graduated. Um, because the teachers were my friend, they asked me to stay to teach, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I told my um, some, I told my father. He heard that thing. He said, "Man, this is great. You know, you gotta stay. You know, you got a job." Because my father always be telling me, you know, he he didn't believe on life as a musician. You know, at least you're a teacher. You know, you have a, a steady income. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I see his point, of course. But so when I when he heard that, he was he was like, "Man, that's it, uh, you know." Now you got a job. You can imagine you went there to study for three years now. And I told him, "No, no, I can't. What I want to teach, I, I can't. This is the beginning, you know. I'm I'm seeing the light. And I'm seeing. I'm understanding better, and I know the work that has to be done, you know. So he wasn't." happy about it but for me it was clear that i have to i have to move i have to go to to paris actually the u.s was my number one but because i couldn't speak a word in english uh, you know paris was the easiest way to start because at least i understand the language i decided to do an audition to go to uh, to school in paris in paris uh, it wasn't easy because they give me uh, 
two weeks visa. So basically, I went to Paris to do an audition. And if it didn't go well, then I had to go back home. Mm. If if the school accepts me, then I have to do the whole procedure and go to renew my visa, etc. And I mean, if I had to leave, if it was from Benin to Paris, I never would make it. Because I remember I have to write down La Marseillaise, you know, mm-hmm. the, the national anthem, the, the French national anthem. I have to write the phrase down. And I never would be able to do that if I didn't pass through Ab- uh, Côte d'Ivoire, Abidjan. So I remember that so well. And uh, then I was accepted and uh, I stayed there for another three years. And that was the first jazz school I've been to that I could finally put a name on things I was doing and have people answering my questions and buy some strings, buy some books, you know, go to a music store. I remember I was passing all day in a music store, you know, I became friends with the guy selling instruments and they just let me, I just play all day because I can, you know, you know, I did not (laughs) I've <laughs> never seen that before. So it was a life-changing experience. So you went on an airplane yeah. and you said, either I'm going to be gone for two weeks or I'm going to be gone for three years. I don't know. Exactly. And they didn't I mean, they didn't give me any chance for that either. It's like, you have two weeks visa. If you, do, you didn't make it, maybe you have time. And you know, those things, I mean, to get those visa in Africa, from Africa, you have to prove a lot of things, you know, where you're going to stay. Uh, um, I remember I was staying at, uh, at my brother, Alexi, who was guitar player, who's a banker now, friends. Uh, yeah, you know, and uh, you, you know, yeah, I came to Paris and I remember his wife was pregnant. I get there Sunday, Monday, I have my audition. And he has to go to work. You know, I had the, the African mentality. I was like, oh, this guy going to take me to school. And, you know, like we do in Africa, everybody's. He's like, no, man, you know, uh, you go down, you're going to see M, letter M, that's the metro. Here's the map. You go down, you take this direction. I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> I think I had my audition at 10 a.m. I get to school at a quarter to 10. And you know what time I left his place I left his place at 7 a.m. <laughs> normally it takes normally it takes like 20 30 minutes to get there I was lost and I was glad I knew I was gonna get lost you know you know yeah yeah I'm dressing like uh, you know in a boo African way in Paris trying to ask people can you tell me the direction everybody's thinking like you're asking for money you know AM, 8 a.m. everybody's running the subway so that was a uh, that was a good welcome, and you know, I said, okay, now. <laughs> well, man, that's really interesting because it's also your, it sounds like the, your first interaction with the outside world, the non-African world, right? I mean, you, you land in France and you're very, absolutely. you know, you're like from another planet in some ways. You speak the language, but yeah, I understand maybe they thought you were asking for money. What did you think of Paris. What did you think of of that world? Well, that week I was shocked, man. I, I mean, seriously, I was like, maybe I should go back home. <laughs> I should go back to Africa because, I mean, I was, I was shocked. I was like, man. But you know, there's always a voice telling me, oh, you, you get here for a reason. Don't, 
don't mess it up. You got to keep, you got to, you got to follow your goal and do everything it takes, you know. And it's just a matter of time to understand the culture. I mean, I had friends from Paris or from France coming to Africa, but it's not the same because they are minority, you know, it's not the same. It's not, uh, but, you know, here you find yourself in, uh, you know, huge buildings and it's cold. Uh, I never forget when I got my place, you know, I had a, I had a, a box, Oh, I have, I have my bed. Of course, I have I have my cassette player, and uh, I was listening to FIP, a radio station. I bought a bunch of cassettes. I was just recording. This is a jazz station. I just record everything, and I had uh, everything in uh, like one fork, one knife, one spoon, and one plate. You know, and uh, I had to find a way to learn how to cook. I was doing that. In, in Ivory Coast, anyway, because I was by myself. But, you know, it's a different story. <laughs> it's a different story. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to come to America in your story. I want to know more about France. But <laughs> I guess by the time you left France, how had your conception, your approach to playing music and your idea of what maybe you could do, how had that evolved in those years in France? Well, in, in France, uh, what I realized was I didn't pay too much attention to it, but most of my peers and my teachers were telling me pretty much the same thing. Like, you have this way of playing, you know, you have, you do this, you know, what is it? And I, and my goal was to, you know, I wanted to play like them. I want to play like, I want to sound like Joe Pass. And, you know, that's, that's why I, I went there. I want to study. I don't... Don't tell me about um, the way I play. I have the way of, mm. I didn't want to hear that. And so I focused, even when I was in Paris, I didn't, I didn't play any African gigs for three years, man. I didn't, I didn't get involved to African community at all. I was like, man, I want to study jazz. I want to get into this because African music, that's what I've done until that point. So and Paris is filled with African music. I mean, Paris is, is exactly. the capital of African music, you know. Exactly. But I was, I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to get involved with that. You know, I'm here to, to, to learn, and that's what I did. And when I moved to, to Berkeley, same thing happens. But that was at Berkeley. That's that was the point where I, I was like, okay, wait a minute. They told me in Paris, and here they're telling me the same thing. So I better listen to myself and understand exactly what they're talking about. And that's from the point, that was the moment for me where I was like, okay, well, that's what they're talking about. That's my sound. That's who I am that I didn't want to accept until that point. You know? So what what did that mean in real terms? What did it mean to embrace your African sound? Is it when you started singing? Is it when you started playing more acoustic guitar? What what, what did you do to allow that part of your identity to to develop? I think, yeah, like I said, it was there, but when I kind of go back and listen to myself and I, I realized like, oh, instead of separating those two things, you know, that was the turning point where I was like, man, those two things are the same, you know, it's, um, it's about my approach to the rhythm, the way I phrased and boom it was like you know all the percussion things i've done i've i was doing back home from kids to 
all the knowledge that I put aside are now interacting with the harmony I'm studying. So that was for me like, okay, well, uh, yes, it makes sense. And it's not, it's natural in a way, you know, it took me a while to make that connection. But once I made that connection, and then I don't have to separate those two things. I was like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's, uh, uh, you know, that was the turning point. Absolutely. You know, something that is so special to me about your story, even when I think about it, and maybe it's too big, maybe you don't want to think about it, or, or maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, the way that the music in America evolved, what made it special was the thing that you just described. It was this beautiful African tradition that came into contact with this Western harmonic tradition. And when they collided, yes. we found what we call jazz, whatever you want to call it, that's where it came from. Yeah. And and what you just described in your own yeah. personal identity is the same. Yeah. It's the same interaction between these two things. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you. You know, besides jazz, jazz being... Um a state of mind and, uh, you know, improvisation part. Well, it's a combination of that. It's a combination of the, the African elements and uh, the classical music, you know, from Sydney, Becher, says it clearly, you know. And I, I truly believe that. In a way, sometimes, you know, it's like, uh, because now there's a whole young generation of jazz musicians in Africa who are doing great. And I feel like uh, jazz is going back mm -hmm. home in a yeah. way, you know, it's going to the source. You know, when I went to Berkeley, I never forget this. I was in the library checking different Coltrane's album, you know, I was so into Coltrane, I was like, man, what is this? And um, I was checking playlists, songs, and I found Dahomey. There's a tune of Coltrane named Dahomey. And Dahomey, <laughs> Dahomey is the old name of Benin. And Dahomey, 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 we call it, Dahomey means inside the snake. That's the name of the country. And Coltrane wrote it exactly. There's a tune named Dahomey. Now go figure out how he get to that. And like, as we know, you know, he was checking Indian music, he was checking. So that kind of reinforced what I was uh, uh, getting into. back to India or Africa to get some element to reinforce, you know, what he's doing. I mean, I came from that part, so I can bring that part to reinforce also, you know, and it totally makes sense to me that just like I'm speaking, I have my accent. If I'm speaking, if I'm in French speaking, they know I'm not, I'm not from France because I have an accent. I'm speaking English, I have the accent. And that's the beauty of, uh, I think, of music. We understand each other when we choose our own word with our own accent. So you play with an accent. You you can play with an accent. Exactly, just like I'm speaking. And uh, and um, 
you know, at the beginning, I, I wanted to speak like American, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I, and then I realized that it's not going to work. It's not who I am. It's not, you know, I, I'm learning. I'm still learning. Like I said, my English was worse. Now it's just bad. <laughs> so it's going somewhere. But you have to accept who you are and build stuff on top of who you are. Well, it sounds like when you started to embrace who you are and really the way you describe it, it seems like rather than having to really do anything, what you had to do was stop doing something. You had to stop trying to cover up who you are. Yeah, exactly. Be yourself. And that's what I, I, I teach a lot these days. And, you know, I want to inspire the students. Yes. I want to I tell them my stories too. I want to wake them up and make sure that they don't take for granted what they have because I didn't have this. I want to wake something up in them that I think, if I think is sleeping, you know, like this is the information that I'm bringing, but I want you to bring to life that information. Each of you has your own way of bringing it to life. This is just, uh, you know, some information. It doesn't mean anything. It's the way you bring the information. When you explain the information, that will make people understand or follow you, you know. Well, clearly it was recognized in you when you started doing it because when Herbie Hancock and Wayne Shorter heard you play, they both seemed pretty quickly to identify something that was unique about you that they wanted to to get close to. And Terrence Blanchard also. I mean, these are three masters who I would love to hear the story about how you connected, but it sounds like they heard you play and identified some truth coming from you that they wanted to explore yeah i think they heard something a raw musician i would say you know not that much knowledge about the harmony or whatever but play from my heart i'm, I'm not perfect no one is perfect so i don't want to polish anything i do to the point where you know then it then it's not natural i like it raw i like it wrong and good at the same time whatever and that was something i had Actually, I'm telling you this, but I feel like I, I lost a lot of that through the years because of the studying and, you know, you study to get mm -hmm. better, of course. But that's one thing that I learned from all my heroes, you know, is uh, it's okay. Because <laughs> I used to be very hard on myself, you know, how you're playing a game and you made a mistake. You're playing the next song, you're still thinking about the, that mistake you made. It's still with you. You go to the sometimes through all gig, you know? So you're not there, you know, you're not playing anymore, <laughs> you, you, you know? Which is, I've been through that. I learned to smile to my mistakes while I'm doing it. And I learned to, to be hard on myself when I finish it, you know? So let's time to think about this, this, this. But when I'm playing, everything is out of the window. Good and bad, everything is coming so I guess that's what they, they they heard, you know, at the audition. This was at the Monk Institute audition. Yeah, it was the Monk Institute audition, and they were the judge. So right, so <laughs> the first time I'm meeting those three at the same time in the same room, you know, you have a I think Carla Lane on drums, or you have a, a Bob Hurst on bass. I mean, the rhythm session. I mean, the, and uh, I remember I was. Uh, for the audition, Gretchen was there. Gretchen Palato, she passed right before me. 
for her audition after me. I don't remember where we were the last two. And um, but I was there in the morning, you know, it was a lot of musicians doing the audition. And uh, I listened to everybody. <laughs> I listened to everybody through the, through the door. You know, I was next to the door. I could hear everyone. And why I did, I'm, I was glad I did it because I just want to make sure that. And so when I get in that room, I wanted to present something that they haven't heard until then. Beside my African thing, I just want to find something else. And then when I listen to everybody, nobody play intro. Everybody was nervous, you know. I mean, you, you know, when Herbie, Terrence, so they, they have the list of tune and they just ask you to play this tune. So I walk in the room and uh, the first person who asked me to play was Herbie, you know. And somehow things happen for a reason because, you know, we send the cassettes. Or, yeah, I think it was cassette back in the day. And uh, they have a teacher, different teachers, a group of um, uh, the piano players goes to one teacher, the guitar players go to. So randomly Herbie heard my cassette. I mean, this I'm talking about, I don't know, you walk in a room full of cassette and randomly he heard my cassette. He didn't listen to everybody, you know. And um, he had him, he heard me and he, you know, he remembered. So when I walk in the room, he said, footprints, footprints. And the footprints was the um, the thing I did. I sent them. I played 6-8, of course, in all African. I gave everything I had. And, uh, and I said, can I play an intro? And he said, yes. But I could see in the others, you know, in the room. I mean, everybody, they were tired, you know. And I could see that, you know, okay, you know. And I did my thing. Yeah, you know, I finished, I uh, played Footprints, and uh, I finished, and the whole room was clapping. They all stand up clapping at that kind of setup because I was nervous like anybody else, you know. But that kind of, uh, when they're clapping, you know, I was like, oh, man, this kind of helped me to kind of calm yeah. down a little bit and, uh, to, and to have the rest of the audition in a more relaxed way you know i had heard the story of footprints before that you auditioned with footprints <laughs> which is why when i heard your new record i know that the record was originally recorded a few years ago and it's now out digitally yeah. but man the first song on the record is footprints and i thought exactly it's funny because if you don't know the story then you say oh you know this is a blowing record this is a record of some famous tunes and that he likes to play these tunes that's cool <laughs> but if you do know the story there's this added importance of opening yeah. a record now so many years later with that song years I passed at the Mock Institute, the first song, the first tune I brought arrangement uh, of was, was Footprints, you know, and that tune we played for two years, <laughs> you know, and that was the arrangement, actually exactly the same arrangement I brought for the trio, for the, that recording. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to capture that 
moment talking about footprints i might make my student play that same arrangement because it was my first arrangement ever ah. of, of a standard you know because I, in paris i was mostly studying compositions you know i was learning standard but i didn't do any arrangement really. Let's talk about this record a little. I mean, I, I don't want to focus always on the records because you have a long career. You're going to have a long career. I understand this is the record that is out right now, but it's a record that is out right now. And you've made now two repertory records. You made an album of all Herbie Hancock material, and now you make this album of mm -hmm. songs that m many of us have a relationship with already. And that stood out to me, you know, after having done... So many original songs and African-inspired songs and pulling repertoire mm -hmm. from, from all over the world to, to make this kind of an album. Can you talk about what it was like to go in and do those tunes? Yeah, well, I wanted to because, as you know, you know, our common ground as a, as a jazz musicians, our Bible is a, is a real yeah. book and the tunes are the one that we, we play to when we learn when we're learning the music. So... You know, even if I didn't, I never had a standard album. I always love to play standard. You know, I think the only actually yes, I, the, the my first Blue Note album that has Herbie and Wayne. I actually I made Wayne play that. Yes, uh, I remember. I never forget that one. I said, man, here's Wayne Shorter who wrote so many tunes. Why don't you pick Wayne's tune? I asked Wayne to play Naima. And I was like, what are you doing? And then Wayne told us the whole story about Coltrane. love standard and uh, it was the right time when I, I said man what about because anyway I'm not gonna be playing standard like uh, uh, I'm not gonna sound like Jim Hall uh, it's not gonna happen so I was like yeah I would be good to play standards the way I hear them and uh, the choice of the standards went very fast but I, I had to you know I was thinking about it uh, um, Eric and Ruben because I know they play a lot together and I have to, you know, find something because we didn't, we didn't have any rehearsal. It was just like getting in the studio, almost like, uh, you know, three guys getting together to play some yeah. tunes. And that's exactly what happened. You know, I think we, we record the whole project in two or three hours. We just, you know, uh, including <laughs> setting up. So it wasn't, uh, yeah. and that's what I wanted. So I wanted to capture that moment where nothing is perfect. It's just, yeah natural approach to the music and uh, organic way of playing. That's what uh, we try to capture. And before that, the HH record, which for me was one of the most important albums of COVID. Oh, thank you. There was something about the energy of that record that was so perfect in its intimacy and its simplicity and directness. You know, it's what I needed to feel at that time. <laughs> Thank you. 
yeah, that was the uh, I recorded I think in January in uh, in Italy, uh, close to Venice. And uh, I remember I came from uh, a tour with Herbie. I came from LA. I went to the to the studio to record. I told Herbie before. I said well, I would love to record. Uh, your tune in a in a solo setting, if you allow me, and you know, was, yeah, of course, man, mm-hmm. you know, I want to hear it. So he was the first one to hear it, basically, you know. And and um, he loves it. He said, "You bring, we give a different yeah. life to my old tunes." And uh, I remember I finished the record. I think it was January or February. Basically, I remember I was in Italy. I was hearing from the north of Italy about the COVID oh, yeah. thing. That's the, then my lockdown. And I remember I went back home, I think a week after everything was locked down. <laughs> you know, so um, it was just the right moment, you know. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to. Yeah. <laughs> and then with um, with the record company, we discussed, uh, should we wait for the end of the COVID before we put it out? And I said no. And... Um, because record companies also said, well, we agreed because first of all, we didn't know how long the COVID, we still don't know. And uh, and second of all, I, I thought it was a good time to put it out because everybody's at home anyway. It's a perfect time to, to check out music if you can go anywhere. Of course, you know, that take out the touring, you know, behind the album, but that's always can be done after. And that's what I've been doing. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to play more nylon string guitar and stop playing electric and how you feel about the electric versus nylon string guitar today? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good question because uh, um, I love both. Um, nylon, especially when I started playing with fingers because before I, was, uh, I wasn't, and, um, you know, when I decided to play fingers, I studied classical music for not too long, but just to have my right, the right hand technique a little bit somewhere to, to start from. And, and, um, nylon string, I was playing electric back then and, uh, I just didn't like the sound. So I moved to nylon and I really enjoyed the nylon to the point where when I, you know, with Herbie, Actually, Herbie, I remember the early gigs with Herbie. I was playing a Yamaha silent guitar. It was a nylon string. And, you know, I did many tours, many years with that. And then I said, man, I got to move to electric. And I uh, started enjoying playing electric guitar since then until today. I still, but to tell you the truth, I'm always um, between uh, nylon and electric and uh the way I play, the way the, the way I hear myself with nylon is not pure nylon acoustic. You know, I hear myself. I like the nylon sound, but with some effects on it, which is not clear nylon. You know, the things with the electric guitar. What I learned from, uh, I mean, passing a lot of time on nylon. When I go to electric, I have better sustain, which is the other reason I like to go back to nylon often because. Uh, Electric guitar is kind of spoiling, mm-hmm. spoiling me in a way that, you know, you had to replace one note and you don't know, have the right yeah. effects and it lasts forever. Yeah, a nylon string is ping, it's gone, you know, if you don't. So everything you play, you got to find a way to hold 
um, your hand on the strings, even if you're not playing or even you finish playing the notes so you can have. So I, I'm, most of the time when I pro, I, I'm home playing, I play nylon or acoustic guitar to, to, to get that, not only the strength, but the, um, um, the sustain, natural sustain, you know. So I'm I'm always between. It's a good question because uh, lately I I wanted to go back to nylon. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. It's, uh, I just love both. I think. Yeah, but it also your answer also explains or describes the the way when you're a guitar player you have a lot of options in terms of the sound. You know, if you're a piano player. Most often, you're going to play piano or one of a few sounds of electric piano, yeah. whatever. Not that, you know, obviously you have synthesizers, mm-hmm. a million things, but guitar players, your sound right. really today is a combination of your sound on the instrument exactly. and these decisions that you're going to make. Exactly. You know, what are the effects and yes. what, you know, how do I want it to sound? And, and it's, it goes on and on. It can be, it's, it's like a never ending question. What's, you know, what's, what are my effects? How organic is the sound how synthetic is it you know are you playing with it still do you play with it sometimes yeah. oh, all the time <laughs> <laughs> all the time you know i use i'm a, I'm a camper guy i use the camper so i've always i pass a lot of time i have some of course some pedals too i pass a lot of time working on on, on my sound but actually i pass more time like i said without any effects well, because I truly believe you know, the effects are just bringing up what I'm playing so if what I'm playing sound the acoustic sound of the instrument if I like it there's big chance that I like when I add some effects and it'll be easy for me to add you know, uh, the right effects to it uh, so I, as, as long as I work on from the effects, because I'm always looking for effects that are connected to me personally, you know, not just because everybody uses delay or everybody uses, I don't know, chorus uh, uh, or whammy. That's no, I, I, I like to find something that um, kind of help me, uh, inspire me, you know. That, that's for me, is uh, always so. I always go back searching for new update or what is what's new here what i can use uh, uh, what i can do with this you know um not because we guitar players you know <laughs> you got a new pedal that's you can guarantee that the guitar player gonna be using a lot of that pedal that night you know so i tried to, I, I used to but now i try to avoid that and just maybe i use that pedal once a night for a specific tune because I think it will have the sound at that moment. Yeah, it's dangerous. I mean, I'm glad that you know you gave two answers. You know, one is that the sound that the sound enhances your ideas, which I think is true. Yeah. But the other thing is that it inspires ideas, and that's also true. You know, yes. and mm-hmm. so you have to be careful what sounds you choose because it's going to inspire which yeah. ideas you choose to play too. And you, and you may sound you may also sound like somebody else. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing. You got you have to I mean, there, there might be something that you like, but you have to take out, even beside the sound, just the playing. You have to take it out from your playing because mm. it's been done, it's, it has a reference, you know. So every time you're going to do that, you're going to have that reference behind. And as much as you love, you love it, somebody has done it <laughs> to another level. 
So that's for me is another way of finding who you are, finding your sound, something that you love it, but it's been done so much that you got to let it go. <laughs> you know, that's the other tricky part. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you're in Switzerland teaching right now. And, but you know, you said you, you're very motivated to encourage your students to find their, their mm-hmm. sound and their way considering how you came to the music and how it was almost like a way to save your life in a way, or, to, or it was the only thing to do. You know, you described tying a knot in a string to keep playing it, but you were not going to stop playing, yeah. even if the string had a knot in it. Mm-hmm. Do you see that kind of commitment and necessity in the players that you find today? Not that much. Not, not really. <laughs> Unfortunately, which is the... That's also that's the reason that uh, why I like to tell my story to them, you know, because I'm coming from home to teach, and uh, I love teaching. I, I think it's a great opportunity to. I play all day, you know, so I love that, you know, work on some stuff and by explaining you discover, you know, I love it, but. It is at the same time frustrating. Uh, you show up and then the student is not there or five minutes before send you a message say, oh, I forgot that you're coming this week or things like that. I mean, never, never, ever I will even, I mean, miss a lesson. I, I What? I, I, I mean, if I could, like here, they have a room, they, you know, like or Berkeley, you have a room, you can practice, you can... I mean, I would sleep in that room if I had that opportunity back then. Even in Paris, the school I was, it was like, uh, they have like three rooms. So I, I, I couldn't practice there. I could only practice at home. I mean, when I was at Berkeley, I would go inside the school like 9, 8, 9 a.m., go out for lunch. When I leave that room, it's 10, 11 p.m. That's what I've done for, for a year at Berkeley because... Wow, I have that opportunity. I can bring my amp. I have I can have this room for as long as I want. Hell yes, you know. So that's for me is the frustrating part that uh, they don't. Not all of them, but most of them they don't. I don't see them like man. I want to do this, you know. Especially knowing that today, I mean, everything is at their disposal. I mean, everything is there, you know. Either they have scholarship or I mean. Everything is there. All you have to do is just get it done. <laughs> and that's for me. I don't understand. I'm. I guess I'm from. A, I came from another place and a different generation. Like things I talk about, you know. Uh, today you play this tune, and you say, "Well, let's let's play another key." And then you know, with one click, we're in a different key. You know. Yeah, it's good, but that's it. Doesn't help. You know, or the other thing that yeah, another thing I have to say is, uh, you know, people say, "Man, I love this tune. Can I have the chat?" No, you can't have the chat. I'm sorry. You do the homework. You do the transcription. If you do the transcription and then you show me your transcription, I will show you the chat, and then you can correct. But that's way of yeah. Just give me the chat, or go online and write this tune, and instead of you doing the trans that the transcription that you learn by doing that, you know? So anyway, so yeah, it's a little frustrating. And what about in Africa? Do you, have you gone back to Africa to teach there to, to see what the scene is like there today? Yeah. I've, before COVID, yeah, like three years ago, I went there, I went to Africa, I did a 
like 10 countries and I did a workshop everywhere. The scene is changing in a good way. I have to say, I guess because of uh, the social media today, I mean, <laughs> I'm always surprised I was in Benin uh, end of August and, you know, seeing people tell me, oh man, I saw the, your concert here or, you know, see a bass player playing uh, Freddie Hubbard. <laughs> solo on bass, you know, I say, man, yeah, or YouTube, everything is on, you know. So that's, that's what I'm, I think you give five, 10 years, let me say 10 years <laughs> from now, we're going to hear about a whole new musician from Africa that's, we freak people out because they, now they have the opportunity to work from there, yeah. <laughs> you know, and wait and see. I truly believe uh, things are about to change in a good way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. People don't always see us musicians this way. They see us playing. So they don't always, they don't know the story. And and the story is what we play. <laughs> you know. I think yeah. you said it perfectly. See? To me, what's interesting is the way our lives inform the music that is made. You know, that's yeah. what it is. That's it. People are surprised sometimes, even musicians sometimes, you know, that uh, because you listen to this music or because we talk about it during uh, our trip to, to the next gig and suddenly somebody's coding that tune. It doesn't happen. It's not random. It, it has a story. It happened because we talk about it. It happens because something during the day, and that's what we play, you know, even if you can't always put a name on it, but that's what we do. You know, that's uh, so the whole st the story of somebody, not just for that day, but from the beginning to that point. Also, that's what we, that's what represent that person. That's that's who that person is, you know. Well, Lionel Lueke, thank you for sharing your story with me today. It's such a pleasure to meet My you. My pleasure. Man. My pleasure. There he was, my friends, Lionel Lueke. What a journey. What a beautiful journey. What a beautiful person. I'll be back in your headspace again with another deep dive before you know it. Until then, I'll talk to you soon. This has been a WBGO Studios production. To learn more about WBGO Studios award-winning podcasts, special concerts, live streams, and more, visit wbgo.org studios.